welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott, and I'm here to read you a few bedtime stories. I want to start this episode with a warning. Both stories this episode deal with the topic of sexual assault, and the first one is also pretty gory. So do whatever you need to to protect your mind. Please also check the trigger warnings in the show notes. There are a few extras that I am forgetting to mention here, but will be down there. If you need to skip this week, then let me say an early go get some sleep, sweet dreams, and I will see you next week. For those of you who are staying, first up this week, we have a story from a returning author to the show, and he has a message for you all. I promise I did not tell him to write any of this under threats or duress, and you could cook an egg on my face while I read his overly generous flattery. Here it is. When I submitted my first story, The Artist, to the show, I actually did it because I lost a bet with a friend. I thought my stories would have been terrible and rejected. Imagine my surprise when THE Shelby Scott replied the next day and asked me if she could feature it on her next episode. I was ecstatic as hell. After some positive feedback from other listeners of Scare You to Sleep, I began working on stories again, fueled by the kind words of strangers and friends alike. But alas, that didn't last. I fell into a deep depression and moped about for months on end. I had writer's block, I was unemployed during a global pandemic, and I was not in the best frame of mind. It was when life had seemed bleak and I thought I had to find a way out that inspiration came my way. After 36 consecutive hours, I know, sounds implausible, but it happens to me from time to time, playing No Man's Sky, an exploration survival game set in the darkest reaches of space, ideas came flowing and I grabbed my pen and paper. This is how the story, Home, came to be. According to those few people I have discussed home with, they have said that it was an amazing story, better than the artist. This was the fuel that I needed to get back to writing my other half-finished trash piles. Currently, I am working on a collection of short stories set in the same universe as each other, following a collection of colorful characters as they survive in a world ravaged by nuclear war. It will feature the artist in written form, meaning it won't be as good as the masterpiece that Shelby turned it into. This story, titled The Pilgrim, will also feature in the collection, but again, it definitely will not be anywhere as good as whatever Shelby does to it. She is a goddess after all. Until next time, Ian Ruderdoot Hutchison. Well, you heard the man. Here is The Pilgrim. Dust billowed around Lucy's feet as the stone gravel crunched with each strained step she took. After several days of lonely travel with only her legs as transportation, she felt that she would be shocked if she didn't have a few new blisters on her feet, which were protected from most of the elements by a pair of oversized biker boots commandeered from a man who no longer needed them, having shuffled off this mortal coil. As she looked around her from behind her trusty gas mask, she was in awe 
at the giant monoliths that jutted up from the ground. The remnants of an age long before she had existed. Massive, half-collapsed buildings that were, from what her grandmother told her, where people would spend most of their time working to provide for their families. Offices is what her grandmother called them. Nowadays, with most of the ancient architecture either collapsing on itself or gone completely, it was next to impossible to find a living person whom was alive before the world was engulfed in nuclear fire. There was the occasional person who would claim they were cryogenically frozen, but most just chalked them up to loonies suffering from radiation poisoning. Gusts of wind would often batter against Lucy as she moved from city to city, looking for some sort of opportunity to get her life restarted. For this reason, she found it beneficial to invest what little spare currency she had in a long military coat, which was likely pillaged from some pre-war military institution. By now, she had been on the road for several months, managing to cross over the now non-existing English Channel. Some sort of cataclysm had resulted in becoming nothing more than an ocean of sand between the two landmasses of the British Isles and mainland Europe. A small merchant hub had even set up shop at the halfway point to offer travelers food, board, and supplies in exchange for currency. The reason this endless pilgrimage haunted Lucy's dreams whenever she slept. Before making her journey, she was nothing more than an average farm girl working on her parents' modest livestock farm. She was content with her life. She even had a relationship developing with a young boy in a neighboring settlement. But one night, her content life went up in flames. She was just getting settled for the night, curled up on her bed of straw, when she heard her father shouting threats to an unknown visitor. From what she could make out at the time was the visitor was trying to help themselves to their livestock. An ear-deafening boom sounded through the family shack, followed by screaming. Her mother screams. Lucy leapt up from her bed and peered up from behind the bedroom door. The visitor, who was accompanied by several other men, was standing in the doorway, looming over the body that was once her father, his sawn-off barrels still smoking. The raiders made their way over to the farm, after having raised their neighbor's farm to the ground. The farmer's wife in tow with them, dirty, bloodied, and bruised in crude shackles, and no clothing left on her. Lucy's grandmother had stepped out from a side room, brandishing her hunting rifle at the intruders. The old woman fired at one of the raiders, and he slammed back against the wall as the bullet went right through his shoulder. Before she could slide the bolt to load the next round, the one who had shot Lucy's father was over at her grandmother, his shotgun pressed against her forehead. In a 
flash of loud, bright light. Her beloved grandmother was gone. The old woman's gray matter now decorated the shack wall. The raiders took Lucy and her mother as prisoners and took them back to their camp outside the city ruins, several miles away from her own home. For two weeks, the raiders kept them as pets for their own sick perversions. The woman who was brought from the neighboring settlement was killed on the first night back at the raider camp. Gutted and flayed alive as one of the raiders had his way with her. This had sickened even his companions, so much so that they slit his throat as he slept on her cold entrails. Lucy only escaped from the raider camp thanks to her mother. After two weeks of being abused in every sense, she had enough. Stupidly, they had assigned her to cooking duty from day one, and she bade her time until they let their guard down. She had slipped poison in their dinner, killing most of them outright, but the leader didn't die as quickly as the others, managing to blow her mother's head off with a shotgun before he choked on his own bodily fluids as the poison melted his internal organs. Her mother had sacrificed her own life so Lucy could run away and start a new life in a new place. For all that was worth, in a world scarred and scorched by nuclear winter. Lucy stopped in her tracks. A shifting of rubble had caught her attention. Rubble still settling after 80 years was normal, but not like this. Someone was stalking her from the shadows of the empty skyscrapers. Her hand rested on the handle of the Smith & Wesson revolver on her belt, while her other hand was ready to pull the raider's sawed off from its holster on her leg. Who's there? She yelled, forcing her voice into a deep pitch to sound menacing and masculine. A man in rags stepped out from the shadows with his hands up. I, I don't want any trouble, he said calmly. I was just making my way to the market of the way when I saw you coming. I was just hiding for my own safety. Why? She barked, still holding the masculine facade. You can never tell what people are going to do these days. You could have been a psycho for all I know, or worse, a cannibal. I don't eat people. Please excuse me if I remain skeptical on that. I mean it. I'm just passing through. He paused for a moment. You looking for a place to stay? I might be. What's it to you? I just thought that maybe you'd like to get a decent meal. He shifted slightly. You look weary, and my wife could fix you up something nice before you head back to the road. Now Lucy was the one who was skeptical. 
how do I know you won't try some funny shit? What's in this for you? Well, it's just me and the wife back home. We'd enjoy the company. We're always helping travelers such as yourself. It's called being a good Samaritan and such. Plus, the rooms in the market for rent are probably way too expensive for you. Her groaning stomach made the decision for her. I guess I'm not in a position to refuse your hospitality. She groaned. But just so you know, I'm armed. So don't try anything funny, okay? The man chuckled. (laughs) It's the apocalypse, sweetheart. Everyone is armed. He patted the small firearm on his hip. Always gotta be prepared for the worst. Now now let's get moving before we draw some unwanted attention to ourselves. The man led the way through the crumbling, dark buildings. Dust shifted around, caught by stray breezes and small insects finding their way to their burrows. They left the ruins to find themselves surrounded by foliage, trees and bushes, bright green, and a stark contrast to the city surrounding it. Used to be an inner city park, the man said, as he led Lucy along a well-worn cobblestone path. The wife and me set up here a few years ago, in the old groundkeeper's house near the back. Lovely place. Need a TLC, but we're getting there. As they entered a clearing in the trees, Lucy was taken aback by the sight that awaited them. Beyond a well-kept grass lawn was an actual house, brick and mortar. Sure, the windows were either boarded up or non-existent, but it was a cut above and beyond the shanties she had seen in her travels. She's a thing of beauty, ain't she? The man said, grinning, obviously proud of his small slice of paradise at the end of the world. I've I've never seen an actual house still in one piece, Lucy replied with unveiled astonishment. I wouldn't say that it's in one piece, (laughs) he chuckled. It's still missing half the roof from the back, but still home to me. The front door creaked as the man shoved it open the charred oak almost reluctant to budge from his push. Lucy followed him inside and took in her new surroundings. The front door led directly into a long corridor. Some wallpaper still clung to the wall in patches, obviously weather-worn from the years the house lay vacant. The floor was bare wood with a layer of dust and patches of dirt leading off into the various rooms. The entire interior was illuminated dimly by candles at varying intervals. There were many odors flowing through the hallway as she removed her gas mask. Most overpowering of all was the smell of boiling vegetables, but that wasn't enough to hide the damp, musty smell of the house itself. 
definitely a fucking creepy vibe in here, Lucy thought. Mary, the man called out. I brought a guest for dinner. A figure slunk into view through a doorway. A woman stood there, scrawny with a hint of beauty past its prime. Her hair hung in matted strands, while her yellow, tattered dress seemed to hang from her frame. Hello? The woman yelled. Come through, I'm in the middle of cooking a stew. Stew. Lucy had fond memories of having vegetable stew with her family after a long day of toiling on the farm. Lucy's unease subsided slightly upon entering the kitchen. In the middle of the room was a large oak dining table with four chairs tucked under it. The woman, who she now knew as Mary, was standing next to a cooking stove, tending to the large pot of stew simmering atop it. It's always nice to see new faces around here. Mary smiled. Peter and I get very few guests, but none of them leave with any complaints about my cooking. The man, who was now revealed to be called Peter, sat down at the table. Make yourself at home, sweetheart. Lucy hesitated as she examined the table. There had been three places set at the table before she even arrived. You said it's just you two here, she pointed at the third place setting. Why have you set three places? Peter chuckled. (laughs) Mary likes to put a place for the Holy Spirit. He made air quotations with his hands. She's a bit of a religious nut, but I still love her. Mary hit him across the back of the head with a wooden spoon. Enough of that. You'll make her think we're a couple of nut jobs. I'm already thinking that, Lucy thought. You know, it's going to be a little while before the food is ready, Mary said to Lucy. Why don't you head upstairs and get cleaned up? We have running water here. Running water? Lucy said in bewilderment. Clean water? That we do. Peter exclaimed. It's cold water only, though, but it's clean and runs off a private tank in the loft. I... I guess I could freshen up a bit. Wash off some of this wasteland dirt. The bathroom was well kept. As well kept a bathroom could be in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Some of the enamel had worn off the bathtub and sink. But the mirror was almost in one piece, albeit with a few cracks and scratches. As she washed the caked dirt from her face, Lucy couldn't help but think about the fact that it had been three weeks since her last wash. Clean water was scarce these days, and most people used it to drink. When she left the bathroom, feeling slightly renewed from cleansing her skin from the surface muck, 
something caught her eye. There was one other door on the landing at the top of the stairs, with candlelight flickering from underneath. Typically, Lucy refused to let her curiosity get the better of her, but this was not one of those times. Before she could stop herself, she had already closed the distance to the door and had her hand on the handle. Her heart pounded in her ears. Sure, these people were weird, but was violating their privacy worth the trouble of easing her nerves? Fuck it, she thought, flinging the door open. Her heart stopped. She tried to swallow, but her throat was suddenly too dry. She wanted to look away and run as far away from that place as she possibly could, but her body wouldn't respond. The room was huge, illuminated by a hundred candles. The floor and walls were decorated by splashes and flecks of red and brown. A heavy iron smell hung in the air, along with the stench of rot. The room bore no furniture, but had been decorated with human remains in various stages of decomposition. Most lay on the floor or chained to the wall. Many were missing limbs. Several were skinned completely. One body, which had been that of a young woman, hung from the ceiling by her wrists. She was stark naked. Her shaved head rested with her chin on her chest, staring down at the pile of entrails at her feet. The organs had been her own. The perpetrator had slit her open from sternum to pubis and hauled the fleshy instruments out onto the floor. Lucy felt bile rising in her throat and tried to hold back tears. You know what they say about nosy people. Lucy spun around to see Peter standing right behind her, holding a rope in his hand, a wide grin breaking across his face. They get hung. Lucy reached for her gun but wasn't quick enough. As her fingers brushed the butt of her pistol, Peter had shoved a noose over her head and brought his knee up into her gut, (gasps) knocking the wind out of her. As she fell to her knees, struggling to catch her breath, Peter stepped behind her and began pulling on the rope, dragging her across the floor into the middle of the room. He threw the free end of the rope over the top of an exposed ceiling beam and hoisted Lucy to her feet. She kicked and squirmed as she tried in vain to loosen the noose. You know, Peter whispered in her ear, I like to play with the younger ones as life drains from them. Lucy swallowed hard. Breathing was hard in that moment, but not impossible. Peter slipped a hand around Lucy's waist and removed the gun from her jacket pocket. He looked it over once and threw it aside. He grabbed the sawn-off shotgun from the holster on her leg 
and threw it towards the doorway. Can you guess how I like to play with them? He continued to whisper in her ear. Lucy shook her head as she fought back her own sobs. I'll give you a clue, he said as he slid his hand under and up her jersey, coming to a stop on her breast. Pain and pleasure go hand in hand, you know. Lucy screamed as the dirty old man dug his fingernails into her nipple and yanked on it. That's it. He licked his lips audibly in her ear. Scream for me, you little bitch. She tried to turn to punch him, but as she did, Peter pulled on the rope, further restricting the airflow to her lungs. This was followed by a heavy punch to her abdomen. Be a good girl, he said, smiling into her hate-filled eyes. If you're a good girl, I just might kill you quick. I might even let you live. He stood behind her once again and slipped his arm around her waist like last time. Only this time his hand traveled downwards and unbuckled her belt. No! Lucy sobbed. No! Not again! What do you mean, not again? I don't want to do it anymore. Lucy had retreated inside her own mind. She was reliving her waking nightmare, living with those bandits as they did all those horrific things to her. Well, seems like someone already had fun with you. Huh. Peter whispered with a grin on his face. At least I don't have to break you in. Peter unbuttoned her jeans and slid his hand down between her thighs. She became rigid as his fingers poked around at her nether region. Oh, Peter said in surprise. You like that? He was cut off as Lucy slammed the back of her skull into his soft nose, the force of which caused a small spray of blood to spout from his nostrils as he fell to the floor. Lucy hurriedly yanked the rope down over the rafters and began to loosen the noose, when Peter's foot swiped out and connected with the back of her knee, sending her toppling over, landing face first in the pile of rotting organs below the disemboweled woman, hanging in the middle of the room. Before Lucy could fully react, Peter was already on top of her, pressing his full weight on top of her own body. The organs squelched under her face as she fought to keep her stomach bile down. You bitch! Peter said, pulling at her hair. You were going to be an easy meal. Now look, you've only went fucking busted up my face. Lucy tried to claw herself away from her assailant, fingernails scratching at the wooden floorboards, but the man's stature gave him an advantage. Fuck you! Lucy spat. You fucking creep! Peter roared with anger and began slamming Lucy's face against the floor and the rotting flesh under her. Her head was spinning, 
and she felt her conscious fading. Peter let go of Lucy's hair when he felt her go limp, and set about fumbling with her trousers to gain entry to his prize. Lucy's outstretched hand felt something as she attempted a poorly executed escape. Something wooden and round. Is that a handle? She thought. Without any further thought, realizing time was running out, she grabbed the object in her hand and plunged it toward her attacker. There was a sickening, puncturing noise, followed by Peter's agonized <gasps> scream. Lucy yanked the tool free and her assailant rolled off of her. Without any hesitation, Lucy got to her feet and looked down at the beast. He was bleeding heavily from his hip where she had struck him. Lucy then observed the tool that had done the damage. In her hand, she held a knife that curved upwards into two prongs at the tip. A cheese knife? She returned her attention to Peter, who was now trying to crawl towards the open door, and decided to return to the topic of the cheese knife later. She fixed her trousers and stepped over to Peter, who was now cowering on the floor. Have mercy, he yelled. Lucy kicked him hard in the face and followed it up with a kick to his groin. Fuck you, you sick bastard, she hissed. She kicked him repeatedly in the gut but felt no satisfaction from her barrage of strikes. She thought about finding her gun and putting him down quickly, but the noose around her neck gave her other ideas. She loosened the knot and pulled the rope over her head before placing it around Peter's neck. This threw him into a panic. Fueled by adrenaline and her hatred for this man, Lucy managed to overpower the injured Peter and drag him by the neck using the rope back to where he had tried to hang her. She threw the rope over the support beam and yanked, where Peter had stopped once she had gotten to her feet. She didn't feel the same inclination. Instead, Lucy kept pulling with all her might until Peter was suspended in the air, wriggling, flailing, choking, and gasping. Lucy stood there and watched this disgusting excuse for a human slowly asphyxiate until he hung there, motionless for several moments. Peter's body thumped to the floor as Lucy let the rope go. He was dead. She was sure of that. But she wasn't taking any chances. She retrieved the cheese knife from her jacket pocket as she knelt down beside him. She dragged the blade across his jugular in a swift motion before returning the cheese knife to her pocket and standing up. She found her gun and began to walk to the door when a figure appeared in the dim doorway. What have you done? Mary sobbed as she entered the room. My Peter, you killed my husband. Lucy pointed the gun at Mary. He was a sick bastard. Mary's face turned from anguish to loathing in an instant. How dare you? You were going to eat me. He was going to rape me, and then you were both going to eat me. Lucy stepped back as Mary took small steps towards her, 
now pointing something at her. The small shotgun was held level with Lucy's head. People do what they must to survive, Mary growled. He does what he does to the girls because I can't provide. You mean you've got a dry old cunt? Mary winced at the word. I'll make you regret coming into this world. The woman pulled the trigger on the shotgun. It clicked, and nothing more. Before the woman knew what had happened, she was lying face down on the floor with a gaping hole through her head. Lucy pried the shotgun from the woman's hand and returned it to the holster on her leg. Luckily, this trophy is never loaded. As Lucy left the horror house behind her and walked back through the dilapidated ruins of the city, she couldn't help but think back to the cheese knife that saved her life. She never once thought she'd ever see an actual cheese knife again in her entire life after being taken as a slave all those years ago. It had revived memories of simpler times, living on a farm with her parents and grandmother. A grandmother who used a cheese knife for everything. That cheese knife was the only thing she had from before the world ended. I guess Grandma is still watching over me, she thought to herself. As she continued her long journey to nowhere. story this evening is such a lovely concept and I thought it would be a great one to send you off to dreamland with. By new author to the show, Callie D, this is I Think My Cat Belongs to the Devil. It all started with a meow. It was just barely audible over the bustle of the street. The alley was narrow, with dumpsters and trash along its walls. The smell wafted past me, causing my nose to scrunch up in disgust. I was about to keep walking when I heard it again. It was soft and weak. Lifting my jacket to cover my nose, I disappeared down the alley. Stepping carefully to avoid the noxious gunk scattered on the ground, I peered around. Trash was piled high, and the dumpsters were overflowing with crap. There was no movement, and the honking from cars on the street made it harder to hear. I strained, trying to hear anything. A small movement caught my eye, and I turned to face a pile. Garbage bags and boxes were stacked against the dumpster, threatening to topple over at the slightest disturbance. There it was again, the softest cry for help. Holding my breath, I carefully removed the bags and boxes one by one, being careful to avoid getting any unknown substances on my hands. There, hidden underneath an empty box of ramen, was a small, 
orange kitten. It shivered and jumped at the sight of me, backing up against the garbage. I slowed my movements, carefully setting the box of ramen to the side. I knelt slowly and offered my hand. The little thing meowed again, sniffing the air. It was covered in fleas and was greatly malnourished. My heart ached for the poor creature, but I stayed still, not wanting to scare it off. Softly, I said, It's alright, baby. I won't hurt you. Let me help. Its ears twitched, and it took a hesitant step towards me. I smiled as it approached. It sniffed my hand before pushing its face against it. I could feel it purring, and I gently lifted it up. It had beautiful blue eyes and a little white spot in the middle of its forehead. I unzipped my jacket and tucked him inside, cradling him against my chest. It purred louder and nestled its way against my collarbone. With him safely stored, I made my way home. I decided to name him Teacup, as he always loved crawling into my mugs as I was about to make some tea. He was given a nice warm bath to rid him of fleas and a small saucer of milk. The vet said that I found him just in time. Another day or two and he would have been a goner. His fleas and worms were treated and I pampered him with all the things a little kitty could desire. As he grew bigger, I noticed that the little spot on his head began to resemble that of an upside-down cross. He was always sweet and kind to me, but hated strangers. Anyone, and I mean anyone, who went near him was met by hissing and a bristling of fur. Other than that, he was a perfectly behaved cat. Then, well, something very, very strange happened. It was last week. I had just gotten home from work and was greeted by Teacup at the front door. He meowed happily and extended his head out for pats. Just as I was about to pet him, a shove hit me hard from behind. I was sent sprawling into my apartment, knocking over a potted plant on my descent. When my head made contact with the floor, everything went black. I awoke with a start feeling a stinging pain across my cheek. I groaned and tried to rub the sore spot. My hands and feet were bound, and it was then that I remembered. My eyes shot open, and I looked panicky around my room. I had been tied to the bed and was now only wearing my bra and underwear. I whimpered and pulled at my restraints. Easy there, missy. There's no way out of those, a voice said from the foot of my bed. I strained my eyes and could make out the silhouette of a man. He was dressed in all dark clothing and had some sort of mask on his face. But I could see the bright, piercing green eyes glaring down at me. They were full of hunger and anticipation. Please, please don't hurt me. I choked out feeling tears starting to swell up in my eyes. He laughed at this and ran a finger around my left ankle. Oh, doll, 
That will come later. He started to crawl over the bed. Over me. I screamed and cried, pulling harder as I tried to get away. I felt his rough, wet tongue run across my stomach, and I screamed. Suddenly, the man was thrown off me and against the bedroom wall. He landed in a pile and groaned. I stared wide-eyed, barely able to keep my breathing calm. A hand gently touched my shoulder, and I let out a squeal of fright. Standing to the side of my bed was another man. This one was finely dressed in a white suit with a red undershirt. His hair was black and slick. His eyes were a sparkling gray, and stubble grew across his chiseled chin. He smiled softly at me and undid my restraint. Quickly, I pulled and started undoing my bonds, eyes bouncing back and forth between the two strangers in my bedroom. Teacup came running into the room. Having wedged open the bedroom door, he made a beeline for the well-dressed stranger. I found myself yelling, Teacup, stop! The little cat ignored me and started wrapping himself around the stranger's legs, purring louder than I've ever heard him before. The man bent over and ran his fingers delicately over the cat's head. But he doesn't like... The stranger cut me off, finishing my sentence. Strangers? Yes. He never did like new people. The man chuckled and lifted up the cat. I heard a groan to my left and jumped at the sound. The other man was slowly getting to his feet, rubbing his head. The other hand reached into his pocket and pulled out a knife. I quickly darted from the bed, but was met by the man in white. He gently placed teacup in my arms and gave the cat one more pet. Now, now, Reggie. I wasn't supposed to be seeing you for another year, he tisked, sucking in air as he wiggled his finger at the man. This fine lady is taking care of my little fluffykins, and I can't have you killing her. With inhuman speed, the man in white was across the room and lifting the attacker by the neck. He silenced a yelp as he squeezed harder. The knife clattered to the floor. I stood, wide-eyed, watching the scene. Without realizing it, I was stroking underneath Teacup's neck, who purred in agreement. My savior lifted up the man and gazed up at him. The attacker squirmed and beat at his arms, his face turning red and purple. The man who saved me looked back over his shoulder and gave me a dazzling smile. I'll be seeing you here again soon. And please, I would be very grateful if you removed that cross from your wall before then. Or at the very least, turn it upside down. With that, they vanished. A burst of hot air blew past me, and I stumbled a bit. The room was now silent and empty. My knees buckled and I fell against the wall. Teacup looked up at me with his big blue eyes. 
And for a second, just one second, they seemed to glow red. Thanks for listening. Thank you to both of my authors this week. Um, thank you, Ian, as always. Um, as he mentioned in his uh, <laughs> introduction, you can find his other story, The Artist. I cannot remember off the top of my head which episode it's in, but it's really good, really gory, a lot of fun. Thank you, Callie, for your uh, for your story about the cat. That was so much fun. It was very delightful. Um, loved it. Uh, it reminded me a lot of a book that I'm reading right now. In fact, the character of the devil. But um, anyway, I digress. Go follow the show on all the social medias. Instagram, Twitter. Um, what's the other one? Facebook. <laughs> you can follow, You can join the Facebook group. I've seen a big uptick in people joining the Facebook group. It's so great to see you all. Um, you can join the Facebook group uh, subgroup, uh, Scare You to Eat, which is just scare you to sleep fans showing off their food and uh, talking all things food and asking questions and sharing recipes and it's great. Um, you can find me on Twitter if you'd like my personal Twitter. I don't know why you would. It's Shelby B. Scott. Same for Instagram, I believe. It's Shelby B. Scott. Um, my personal Instagram. Um, you can submit a story to the to be featured on the show if you'd like me to turn your story into whatever it is you would call these things I do, um, <laughs> audio dramas, I guess, um, you can send it to scary to sleep at gmail.com. And I do want to make one note. If you send in your story, please don't send it multiple times. I am just very behind on submissions. Ian can tell you himself because I think he sent his in. Oh, Ian, when did you send this in? Probably in June. I want to say that's how far behind I am in submissions. So, um, which is fine. Send them in and I will get to them. Sometimes I jump around too. Sometimes I just kind of, I'm feeling fancy and I just kind of jump around. Not fancy. Fancy is not the right word. What am I talking about? Anyway, I just, um, jump around a little bit. Sometimes titles jump out at me. I'm only human, you know, but I always go back and I, I, I have, I will read every single submission. I promise there are none that go unread. I am again, only human, unfortunately, and I can only read so fast and so much. So, um, yeah, send in your stories again. That is scary to sleep at gmail.com. There's also a submission form on the website, which is scary to sleep.com. Oh, and there is a merch sale on T public, um, is where I keep my merch at and you can go right now. I think it's 30% off most merch and I believe t-shirts are $14 until December 19th so go check that out um, if you follow me on social medias you'll see I made a cute little flyer uh, with Krampus himself threatening you to go buy merch um, I believe that is all for this week I will be back next week I already have next week planned I am going to return to my tradition of old-fashioned ghost stories as I do every year I love reading something very you know Victorian or something something from that era when ghost stories it was a tradition to tell ghost stories at Christmas 
Um, so yeah, look forward to that next week. It's a really good one. It's a very unsettling one. It, it's um, for those of you who may think, especially if you're new to the show and you think like, eh, I'm not really into the old dusty stuff. Promise you, it's a lot easier to digest when it's being read to you. Um, I've heard that a lot. Um, so yeah, give it a try. It's really creepy, really spooky, perfect for Christmas time. I decided I don't, I think the week of actual Christmas, I don't think it's going to be a holiday themed show because my episodes coming out would come out on like on Christmas or on Christmas Eve, something like that. And you're all going to be busy and you don't want to listen to Christmas stuff past Christmas. And most of you don't even celebrate Christmas, which is cool too. So I'm just going to do next week's, um, spooky Victorian Christmas ghost story. And then the week of Christmas will probably be just a regular episode. So, you know, um, yeah, I think that's it. All right, everyone. I will talk to you next week or on social media if you follow me there. All right, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams.